Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that looks at all things marketing in the world of sports. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports. And joining me is Bill Rasmussen, who back in 1978 founded ESPN. He is now the founder and CEO of Hometown Networks, the place for local and high school sports to provide live streaming and on-demand sports coverage from hometowns across America. Bill, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, you're more than welcome, Rob. I've been looking forward to it. So what I want to talk about is OTT, a.k.a. streaming content, and the future of the industry. So let's start with this. You were a pioneer in the sports broadcast industry with radio, TV, and having founded the first 24-hour cable sports network in ESPN. How do you think that streaming content will affect the way sports fans consume games? Well, it's really that's a very interesting question. There were there was a time when no one believed that anybody would watch any as much as you know even a week's worth of TV, much less eight thousand seven hundred sixty hours a year. And I think the the driving force for all of this, while there are experts who will take credit for doing one thing or another, without the fans, there's no business. And what we've done over the years, what we meaning the sports industry has done over the years has kept piquing the interest and gaining more what depth of interest from sports fans. They want to know everything. The one thing that we found is missing, of course, is what's happening to all those teams in, in, in the hometowns across America. Every town's a sports town, as George Bodenheimer says. George, the retired chairman from ESPN, wrote a book, and that's what he called it. Every town's a sports town. Well, every town is proud of their sports, and the kids that play and the men that play and the women that play – and, and unless they get to a college or a high school that is nationally known, they don't have a lot of opportunity to be seen. I mean, they can go ahead and do things with cell phones and, and local streaming and Internet things, but it's just it's individuals. And we're giving those individual individuals who will play on a team in a town. It might be the men's league. I don't know. You said you were born back in 1980. So maybe you're slowing down a little bit as far as running the bases. I don't know. Never. <laughs> <laughs> but in your heart, if you if you were if you were a baseball player, I played until I retired on my 50th birthday, and people gave me a pair of spikes for the next year. They didn't believe I was going to quit, but instead, I became an umpire for a number of years and refereed hockey. And all of those games, every single one of them, helped shape what we're what we're doing right now it was amazing on a sunday afternoon you would have families come out to watch dad play shortstop for xyz team and they can take today they can you know videotape with their uh, videotape see i'm still an old-fashioned guy <laughs> they, they they can take their images with phones and with everything but what do they do with them they go home and they can watch them and they can show their neighbors well we're going to give the those kinds of games on Sunday afternoons and the basketball games on Tuesday nights and be high school or community games, they'll have a place to go and to be seen, call grandma and wherever it might be, and, and uh, our game is going to be on at such and such a time. So I think that the basic ingredient for all of this is this passion that fans have for major league teams, for minor league teams, for community teams, and and, you know, I don't have anything better to do these days, so why not do this? I think this is a great, great opportunity. 
Nice. So I saw the NBA toying around with the idea of giving fans an option to pay 99 cents to watch the end of a close game. Do you think we'll see more creativity when it comes to how games can be watched? Oh, absolutely. I, uh, I happen to, as, as we've mentioned, I've been around for a long time before the first major league baseball season was until 1947 and people wondered if that was going to work. And then NCAA football came along in 1950. NBC came up with an idea to do some games. But I, have to, I have to tell you, the coverage was atrocious by today's standards, but it was passionately watched by those few people who could get to a TV set back then. Fans will adjust and they, they will figure out a way that, you know, you and I might watch a game a, a different way. We might be looking for different things. But as long as the game is there, we're going to watch it. So I think as ESPN has evolved and the, they're now streaming billions, as you probably know, they're streaming billions of minutes of sports every year when they do the, the National Football Championship, the uh, the NCAA end-of-the-year game for Alabama, whoever Alabama is going to play in the, <laughs> the championship. They have you know 10 or 12 different platforms covering that game, and they're streaming and video and cable and i mean it's just I, I don't think there's any limit except everyone's imagination and those imaginations by the way are going to be formed by some of the young young kids today who are seeing all of this stuff and sitting looking and saying you know i think i have a better idea how about we try this whatever this might be we're doing the hometown network somebody might look and say you know what that's a good idea but i think i can do this or that a little bit differently and improve upon it that's one of the great things about America. Everybody takes the ideas and continues to improve. And as a result, we are what we are today. I mean, when you can tell me now that a home run leaves the bat at 116.7 miles an hour, goes 103 feet in the air and comes down 434 feet from home plate and you do it before the guy rounds the bases, that's pretty impressive. No doubt about that. So right now, uh, I'm a DirecTV subscriber, and the only thing that's keeping me subscribing to them is actually two things. One, it's sports, because I don't watch anything other than sports. And then number two is the quality of the stream. So since I'm watching sports all of the time, and I'm very familiar with streaming because I do stream other things like Netflix, but when it comes to watching sporting events, I'm not ready to pull the trigger on streaming because it's not as crisp and as clear as cable or, or satellite. Do you see this being a challenge or is this something that is going to be overcome as technology continues to get better and it just becomes seamless as part of our lives where we'll watch Netflix and you watch Hulu and then you'll just watch any other sports because it'll be just the exact same integration. Yeah, I think it will be. I think it, it, it will evolve. There were, you know, there were skeptics. There have been skeptics all all along the sports road, the sports viewing road, I guess I would say. Uh, certainly there were skeptics when ESPN came along, and then there were skeptics when Fox came along to challenge them with their Fox Sports 1. And NBC and CBS have their own sports networks. Everyone keeps trying to improve on all of the existing technology. And one interesting thing it's apropos to what we're talking about espn we started with 80 employees and 30 years later half of those employees were still there still improving still trying to do things bigger and better and faster and so on and i think that's the way the whole industry is these days it's you know it doesn't it doesn't cost anywhere near as much today to try something 
And if it works great, you can expand upon it. If it doesn't work, forget it and move on to the next thing. Back, you know, when ESPN went on the air or, or when the networks were doing their sports back in the 50s and 60s, they had, if they wanted to try something, it cost a lot of money to buy a lot of big clunky equipment and put it on a big old truck and run someplace to do something. And they weren't quite sure what kind of quality they were going to get. But they overcame that. And now I think the same thing is going to happen with OTC and uh, uh, OTT, I should say, and and all the other items uh, and all the other inventive type people that are working on sports. It seems to me that there are more people working on sports than there are on politics these days. Maybe that's because I'm a sports fan. <laughs> so tell us your vision for hometown networks and how does it work? Well, you're in Chicago. You said you're up on the north side. Is there, are you in a, an area where there's a lot of uh, local activity, community activity? Well, very much we so. Can... I live in Old okay. Town right across from Lincoln Park. Okay, well, you would you would have a community, I don't know, basketball league. You would have a Sunday afternoon softball league. You would have the kids playing Little League on Tuesday and Thursday nights or whatever it might be. And we have cameras that are permanently installed and feed whatever the action is. And it's just all live stream. And we take the highlights of those. We can put anywhere that we want around the world, obviously. And we're still developing the plan for the network itself for the, quote, one single network that we're putting up, which is really not a single network. It's a way to go and access something from Chicago if you're in Atlanta, and you can uh, access pretty much the way every all the rest of the OTT works right now. But we're focusing, instead of having the fans be fans by watching things that other people produce or what's, you know, what's what their, their neighbor in, in school produces, we're saying we're going to take all of this stuff and put it, make it access and promote it worldwide. So wherever you are, you'll be able to pick up some something on Hometown Net. We'll be on Hometown Networks, and we'll have, obviously, all kinds of programming. Um, uh, I, I, I hesitate to call them guides. But if you just said, I don't know, where's, where's the town you visited recently? Have you been to St. Louis? You went down there to see a cousin? Uh, well, you can go and find out. You can find out what, what's happening in St. Louis in high school. High schools are... Believe it or not, high schools these days have contracts with cable companies, <laughs> and and some of them don't want to be on, don't want to get involved. That takes me back to when people didn't want to be involved in the ESPN because they had other kinds of contracts. But I think it's all just part of the evolution. We're going to have there are going to be cameras everywhere, not just the tele, not just phones like we're all using now, but but real high resolution. Uh, take care of the streaming, questionable streaming that comes from some places. Many years ago, we did a series in, I think it was 19, I mean, uh, 2008 or 9. We did a series of football games with the NAIA and used the internet at each school that we went to. And we got all kinds of different, we had a very good reaction, but we had all kinds of different quality. It's just the way it was. And I think that the quality will be improved upon week after week, month after month. There's just there's so much money involved and so much interest and so many big players now that are really pioneering and coming up with the uh, improving the technology. 
which makes it available for camera manufacturers and for people like us who want to take that, take advantage of all that work that's gone into it and just take it to another level. There are, there are kids five years old or four years old, probably three years old, I don't know, at this point, play, playing catch. And, and so we're giving everybody a platform to do it. It will be, it's a massive undertaking. And uh, Diana and some of the folks that are working on it, Lynn, who you have not yet met, have their hands full putting all these things together. And we keep, we keep coming up with new ideas and new thoughts. But the bottom line is, without the fans, there's no business. I, I was in New York a couple of years ago, and somebody said, how important are the fans? And I said, forget the fans. Fans will soon forget you. So that's the way it is. If, if fans stop listening to your show and, and they forgot you, that's not a good thing. So you have to take care of the fans, which obviously you do. And that's what we're that's where we're headed. So let's talk about the integration of advertising and content. Advertising doesn't seem to be keeping our attention while watching TV because we have so many other options and screens. How do you think that advertising can be better integrated into content to enhance the experience, which would be a win-win for everybody? Well, I, I think now we're into a different industry. How do you buy adver- you know, the advertising agencies and advertising itself has some some different purposes that they're trying to accomplish. We think that if they take ownership of a program, let's let's say, you know, I don't want to mention any real names, but XYZ Insurance Company or or automobile company or whatever wants to really be involved in the community, we can say XYZ Insurance is available, you know, on TV and call your local agent and all that. We see those ads constantly. We see ads for you know, all the major automobile manufacturers. If we get them to invest in the town where they're selling whatever it may be, insurance or automobiles, it becomes their network and they become good friends. We're, uh, you know, we're part of your community. We're not, they're not firing advertising messages at at the uh, TV sets, the streaming, whatever it might be in any given community. They're saying, we're part of your community. We're supporting this. Come down and, you know, we're the XYZ insurance <laughs> sponsor for all of the hometown sports towns across America or all of in Chicago or all of them in New Mexico or whatever it is. We think that it's a, we're, we're really taking on a, a double challenge here in trying to get the advertising. We will get them. I'm, I'm confident they're going to get it. Like everything else, they'll say, no, it doesn't work until it works, but that's okay. But if we get an advertiser, a national company who says, we're coming into your your hometown, because we're your, your hometown insurance. We've been working with you for years, and, and same with the automobile people. You've been a Chevrolet dealer or, I mean, a user or a Ford user or a Buick or whatever it is. And suddenly they're there not saying, come down and see the latest whatever and we're going to flip the trunk and we're going to show you all these wonderful things and they're saying this is we're part of your community we want them to invest in the community just as they've invested in their dealerships or their their uh, various field offices and so on and whatever the business might be we also think there's an opportunity for the local same thing uh, automobile dealer dealer or whatever it might be to say you know i really like this idea i want to I'll sponsor the, or I will have a presence in the, <laughs> this, 
at the park this where they play six softball games at a time or at the basketball facility where there we've got seven courts i want to be part of that i want to be part of this community it's a little different sell than saying here are the numbers here's the reach it's such and such across the country one point whatever it might be we're saying come invest with us come be part of the community it's it's going to change the way some of the advertisers are approaching it but change is good and we're willing to, that's what we're trying to do it it works every time eventually well, yeah, you've got to give people a reason to look forward to hearing back from you. And I believe that starts with community and engagement and ongoing communication, because oftentimes as a consumer, sometimes you just want to feel like that brand cares about you because so much of advertising right now is done to you, not with you. Well, it's just like people say, let's have a conversation and then they talk at you instead of with you. And that's what we're doing. We want them to be with us. It's just exactly what you're saying. Now, now, if you were an advertiser, you would have grasped that very quickly. Some of these advertisers are a little slow, but we'll get to them. <laughs> I love I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm supremely confident. You know, I, I, I have the approach that when someone says no, they've made the mistake. I'm not discouraged because it's, they've made the mistake. They're going to, you know, it's not going to work that way. They're, they're not going to chase us away because they're telling us no. We had that happen with ESPN. Actually, ESPN had seven different companies had an opportunity to help us launch ESPN, and they all turned it down until we got to Getty Oil, the number, who was number eight. But uh, everybody said, well, how'd you keep going? It's really easy. I, I fervently believed in what we, what we were doing and knew it would work. And when they said no, I just said, well, to myself, they've just made a mistake, and we moved on to the next one. I think that's what's going to happen here. And when we have the first one or two or three or four community participants where they're saying, we're with you, we're part of your community, we're not just firing messages at you hoping we buy, you buy our product, we think that's important, an important distinction to make. And, and as soon as one, uh, we're talking to a lot of them, and one will make the decision, I'm confident of that, and then there'll be another, and then there'll be another. So we can integrate in any way that we, you know, we can integrate in the community and we can obviously integrate it into the product on, on display. So you've obviously have a lot of great stories. Could you just share one quick good story with us, whether it's about your journey of building ESPN or hometown or, or where you are? I know that we've got a very captive audience who has enjoyed what you're talking about. And I know that they would want me to ask you just, just could you share a good or interesting or funny story from your journey? Well, there's one that comes to mind very quickly. It's just, since we were just talking about sales, I was in Denver in 1978, early, late 78, early 79, selling cable companies. Denver at the time had uh, five or six of the major cable headquarters were all right there. And I remember going into one and, and I was really, really excited. We're going to do these things and we're going to come, we're going to give you local availabilities. And in other words, if you live in, uh, you know, Martinsville, wherever, New Mexico, you'll have a chance to put some of your content into this national stuff we're doing. So that was one part of our pitch. And I went into this one cable operator I was meeting with the president and, and he said, yes, young man, tell me what, you know, is going on. I wasn't so young, but anyway, that's what he called me. And so 
we're talking about it. And I got all excited. And I said, and now the real thing, you know, not only are you going to have your customers panting for all these sports because nobody's done it, we're going to give you an opportunity to sell local advertising and insert it in there. And he said, why would I want to do that? I'd have to hire somebody. I said, what? He said, I'd have to hire a salesman. And in my most impetuous moment, probably in the whole thing uh, leading up to ESPN came when I said, here's an idea. Hire that salesman, give him 10% and you keep 90 and sell all that local advertising. He kind of stared at me for a while and they eventually became a customer, but that was kind of the mentality they had in those days. We were, they were, the, the cable systems were happy to collect their 10 or $12 a month per subscriber, which sounds impossible today. And they weren't very anxious to do put much effort into it until we came along and we told them about all these wonderful things that they were, we were telling them what they were going to enjoy, even though they didn't know they were going to enjoy it. And I, I think of all of the, all of the most surprising things that happened, that guy kind of just didn't get it. And that, that set up a lot of conversations in the future, but the toughest, the toughest one was when the, Whalers finished out of the playoffs in 1977-78 season, and I was going to play golf, and Colleen Howe, wife of Gordy Howe, called me and said, essentially, you're fired on behalf of Howard Baldwin and the Whalers. They don't want you back. That's the way it is. That was that was, some, that was the moment that said, I have to go do something now. So when someone asked me the quick answer, uh, a quick question about how did ESPN, what triggered it with you? It was easy. I got fired, and I had a family in in Connecticut to feed. And so we had to do something and we set out to uh, fire Memorial day weekend. And by J July 14th, 1978, we had incorporated ESPN and it took us about six weeks and we were off and running. And that is how you turn what could be perceived as a negative situation into something good. And Bill, I want to yeah. end with this. Uh, your journey and what you've built is certainly an inspiration to me and so many others. Can you give some words of wisdom to anyone who dreams of creating something great in the world of sports? Absolutely. It's very, very simple. And it's six short words, ABC, NBC, always be curious and never be complacent. In other words, when somebody asks you a question or you ask a question and somebody says, I don't want to talk about that. Just keep asking questions. Don't be complacent. It's amazing what you can learn and how many people, when you do ask questions, how many people will help you. So whenever I speak around the, wherever it might be at a college or a business or a university, that question generally comes up and they expect a long paragraph, but really it's that simple. Always be curious and keep asking questions and never be complacent. Don't ever stop pursuing your dream. So, Bill, I really appreciate the stories that you shared and the thought leadership and the different things and ways that you are being a leader in this industry. HTNSports.com has an ambassador program that college students can apply to. Can you share a little bit more about that so that people can know where to hit you guys up? Yes, indeed, Rob. We are inviting ambassadors, student ambassadors, to help us develop um, the entire, across all kind, the whole discipline of. Uh, what's going to take to put all this together. Uh, we've got some ambassadors in uh, Indiana and uh, Arizona, different places around the country. And if they're interested in any part of what we're doing from producing to 
recruiting people in their own hometown to setting up the network for their own hometown. It could be, you know, Joe and Charlie's um, message for the town. It really it's it's an internship that they can earn credit for. It's a wonderful learning experience, and they, they can go to uh, hcnsports.com. Getting started, and the whole program is explained on the on the website. Uh, and we we respond quickly. If someone goes there and says, "I want to learn more about it," you will hear from us almost before you finish typing. So we're very interested in the young people who want to from colleges and uh, probably down to high schools as well, but certainly college students for credit becoming ambassadors in their own hometowns. So if this was something that you're isn't interested in and you're listening to this, live in action. Go to htnsports.com. This is something that can be a fantastic part of your journey. Bill, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Rob. Great talking with you. That's it. That's all, 